Lord, thank you for your love and grace and uh, open up our eyes to truth and wisdom. And uh, thank you for this amazing story. And thank you for Esther and her courage. Please help right now. In your name, amen. Okay, uh, chapter four. And uh, this is fasting. So let me set the scene just a little bit. Uh, In chapter three, we discovered that the reason why Haman in the ancient language, Haman, why this guy is so dangerous toward the Jews is because one of his relatives way back was a king named Agag. And King Saul uh, failed to obey an order given by God as revealed through the prophet Samuel. And when Samuel found out, it was bad. And so... Uh, Galen, it was resolved by Samuel the prophet executing Agag. And that went down as this very abusive event of Jews abusing a particular people group. Well, this, this Haman is a relative. And so we have a revenge story is what that's about. And Mordecai knows what's going on too. So now just a little reminder of this revenge story. Chapter 4, when Mordecai learned of everything that had been done, that's Haman's plot to get a law passed to annihilate all the Jews. By the way, that's Mrs. Bowles. That's Janice's mom. She is so precious. I'm so glad she's here. They'll come in. Let's just wait a little bit. So We can all clap if you want when she comes in here. <laughs> well, Hello. <laughs> it is so good to see you. So good to see you. Yeah. So, um, uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 1. Um, when Mordecai learned of everything that had been done, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. Now, this is public. He went to the open square. Think of it that way. And he even came as far as the king's gate for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. So he's intentionally moving closer and closer to where... His behaviors would hopefully be reported to the king. He wants to be seen. Verse 3, in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and mourning rites. And many had sackcloth and ashes spread out on the ground like a bed. Then Esther's attendants and her eunuchs came and informed her, and the queen was seized by great fear. Evidently, she was not aware that a law had just been passed to annihilate every Jew in all of Persia. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he would remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. He's refusing to uh, take off the sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther summoned 
Hatak, Hatak, from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Malachi to learn what this morning was and why it was happening. So they're dispatching a middleman back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. And by the way, there's a little comment here that's really interesting. Mordecai even told him the exact amount of money that Haman, that Haman was going to pay the king to get to kill all the Jews. How did Mordecai get that data? That is inside information. Somebody on the inside reported to Mordecai. So that's a really interesting thing. And uh, he even gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their annihilation so that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go out and to the king and and beg him, implore his favor and plead with him for her people. So Hatak came back and reported Mordecai's words to Esther. Esther spoke to Hatak and ordered him to reply back. So he's going back and forth. Verse 11, this is really significant. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know, everybody knows that any man or woman who comes into the king in the inner court, who was not summoned, asked to do so, has violated the one law, and there's only one law here, they must be put to death unless the king takes out his golden scepter and waves it over you and grants forgiveness. That is the law of the Persian. And Esther's saying, and I have not been summoned to come into the king for 30 days. Can you appreciate the scene? Whether, whether the king, whether Esther has lost, lost her, uh, the honeymoon's over. How's that? Honeymoon's over, okay? And it's kind of routine. And the king hasn't asked her to come see him for 30 days. And now Mordecai's saying, I need you to barge in on the king. And Esther goes, if you do that without being summoned, there's only one law that is is taken into effect. You're killed. And he hasn't asked to see me in 30 days. This is not good. Okay, now, I want you to see something to appreciate the seriousness of this law. So there's uh, a Greek historian named... Herodotus, all right? He's known as the father of history. He's the first known historian. This is the first guy in recorded history that wrote a history, okay? And he wrote about the Persian Wars. So he's, he's you know, around 425, you know, began his, 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 his work here, you know, published his magnum opus. It's a big deal, all right? Look what this guy says about this Persian law, okay? This is book three, verse 118. So much for these matters, but Interfrenes, Interfrenes was a political operative that helped a king uh, overtake an enemy. So this dude's an operative. But Interfrenes, one of the seven rebels against the magician, 
was brought to his death by a deed of violence immediately after the rebellion. He desired to enter the palace and speak with the king, for this was the law, that rebels should come into the king's presence without announcement given. If the king were not with one of his wives, if the king's alone and somebody barges in, death penalty, unquestioned. If a wife is with him, Interphanes then claimed his right to enter unannounced as one of the seven. But the gate warden and the messenger forbade him, and so the king gets a little upset. What does the king, what does the king do? He cuts off the nose and the ears and displays them on the bridles of the horses. This is brutal. This is an absolutely brutal culture. Okay, I just want you to appreciate that uh, Mordecai is saying, hey, I want you to go in and talk to the king. <laughs> All right. Serious, serious stuff. All right. That's verse 11. Now look at verse 12. And they reported Esther's words to Mordecai. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you're in the king's palace, that you can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained a royalty for such a time as this. That is an amazing verse. So Esther plans to intercede now. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me, and do not eat or drink three days, night and day. I and my attendants also will fast in the same way, and then I will go into the king, which is not in accordance with the law. If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. That's where that statement comes from. If I perish, I perish. Yeah. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther commanded him. Fascinating. So a couple of things I want you to notice um, about chapter 4 are, number one, that uh, Mordecai is choosing to go public. It's, it's now time to go public. We've kept this secret for a long time, and he's not ashamed to do that. It is a critical hour. Um, it's interesting that there's an inside man who's feeding information to Mordecai. We don't know who that inside man is. And I've already emphasized the seriousness of walking in on the king, that that's an immediate death penalty. With one exception, if the king waves his golden scepter and says, I forgive you, I'm going to override the law, what's going on? What do you need? And, uh, and then besides that, it's, it's a brutal outcome always. And then I want you to appreciate... What Mordecai says in verse 14. Um, If you keep silent, liberation and rescue will rise for the Jews from another place. What do you think that means? Saying, Esther, I need you to save your people. I know the law says you go in there and you're going to risk dying. If he doesn't, wave the scepter. If you don't, God will raise up liberation and redemption from another place. What's going on with that comment? 
What do you think? Esther, if you don't come through and do this, God's going to raise up somebody else. Yes, yes. What does it say about Mordecai's faith? Okay. Yeah. Even to the point that the most obvious savior figure, the obvious one, is Esther. Right? She's the go-to girl at this point. But he even says, look, if you're not willing to do this, God's going to raise somebody else up. Oh, by the way, maybe God gave you this beauty because you were born for such a time as this. This is why you were allowed to attain to this level of royalty. No pressure, Esther. You were born for this. This is your moment. But if you choose to not accept the mission, God's going to raise somebody else up. Wow. That's some pretty serious faith, on, I think, on Mordecai's part. Now, I'm sure you guys are following a bit of the Ukraine-Russian war. Not really sure what's going on. There's all kinds of spin doctrine going on with that. I have no idea what the facts are. Um, Galen um, and Alan, I'm not sure. You're understanding a military combat. When Nation A moves in to conquer Nation B, it's pretty well all out. You know, you hit hard with a hammer. I don't see Russia doing that. Do you guys see that? It's almost like little tactical... Spots here and there, if you noticed? Little bitty things, little skirmishes. Something's up. I don't know what's up. That's called guerrilla warfare. It's to my understanding, Vietnam, World War II, Korea, all this stuff. Something's going on with Russia. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and I think I think Putin knows that it's getting real complicated. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. How do you beat those people of the sand? So, okay, try to try to get get your mind around this, and please just bear with the analogy, okay? Bear with the analogy that if Russia, what if Russia said, our mission is to annihilate every Ukrainian and leave no one alive? What if that was the mission, and the president of Ukraine was the hope of the nation? And, and the relative of this president says, look, you've got to go make an appeal to Putin. You've got to cross into enemy territory. You've got to go to the KGB or his palace, and you've got to stand before Putin, and you've got to hold your hands up and say, Vladimir, look, stop, and here's why. Now, he may shoot you on sight, but if he listens, you might save all of Ukraine. I appreciate the dynamic. That's not too far off. This is, this is really, really serious. And the guy advising the president of Ukraine to make that appeal, right, in Putin's territory, <laughs> not his own, said, and if you don't, it's okay. God's going to raise somebody else out. NATO, U.S., Canadians, I don't know, somebody, you know, it's going to get on the fight, so... That's the political dynamic here. I love Mordecai's faith. And, you know, you kind of skip it. I mean, you know, I can skip it and go, well, it's all about Esther. 
No. This is actually a God story. This is about God saying, hey, I got this. I see a bigger picture you don't see. I'm seeing way up here. And I, I just think Mordecai's faith is amazing. Um, uh, Esther's resolve. Mm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in on the king. I'm going to walk in on him. And if I perish, I perish. How's that for courage? How's that for resolve? I think that's amazing. Absolute resolution. So here's a contrast. You've got Vashti, the first king. And when all the guys are drunk and they want to see the pretty girls walk by in their outfits, Vashti says, nope, I'm not going into the king. She gets in trouble. (laughs) By contrast, Esther, she's going to force her way into the king and hopefully survive, you know. So pretty amazing. All right. I know that's kind of short tonight, short and sweet. What do you guys think? What is this? What does this reveal about Mordecai's faith, about Esther's faith? What does it reveal about maybe God's got a bigger picture and and maybe we need to consider the bigger picture? What do you think? Yeah. So this is uh, looking on to what Esther's faith is. This is how God works in, in us. Those, you know, those who we we hear God, he gives, he gives us that strength and our mind, mm-hmm. our mind is different at that point. Mm-hmm. We, we now have, we have confidence. It's, it's a, it's a feeling that, you know, you can't derive from yourself. It's totally not exactly the way you would think or do things. Mm-hmm. And when God gives you that, gives you that confidence in which is in faith there, mm. You yourself even are kind of surprised in a way, but at the same time you're like, no, this is what needs to be done. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's a very amazing experience uh, when God does that with you, and you are with God. It, it, the, the, the the communication is together. It's a whole different experience than saying, you know, all right, uh, you know, uh, this probably won't work. No, she was confident. Yeah, and she made the comment, "If I perish, I perish." Yeah, but she was confident at the point where it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's that's the, the feeling that she is giving off, saying on there, and, and right. experiencing that is amazing when God does that through our lives. Right. So, um, David, appreciate this in verse fourteen. Mordecai says, "Look, if you say nothing, everybody dies." If you say nothing, it guarantees your death, the death of your family, your extended group. And, and we have no telling how many Jews lived in Persia at the time. If you say nothing, everybody dies. If you say something, you might die. How's that for the rock in the hard place? <laughs> Either way, she is facing potential execution. Either way. But, what, but you know, on that, that, that's what I meant is a normal a person that doesn't believe in God or have faith, they would they would be panicky. You know, be tough. Yeah. they would be they would they would be in a whole different state of mind. Yeah. But yeah. her, she went to that resolve that that God put that resolve in her and said, "All right, this is what I must do." Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it's like it was like when you know they were called. It's like, who's going to do this? And God said, "Who's going to do this for me?" And who who said, "Here I am, God." 
Yeah, that's Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, yeah. right. That's good, David. So, okay. Um, how old is Esther at this time? She's a kid. <laughs> you know, this isn't a uh, seasoned, mature, 30, 40, 50 year old woman who's really seen the ups and downs of life. This is a very young lady. How's that for courage? Man. Tremendous resolution. Very, very young. Um, okay. Uh, anything about anything else? Mordecai's faith or the big picture? It reminds me a lot of Daniel in the fire. Lions Dan, yeah, the fire, yeah. 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 His faith is there, and he's bold enough to say, and even if, even if God doesn't, he's still God. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be one of my favorite verses. Even if he doesn't come through, I'm still going to serve him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anybody else that you notice about this story, chapter 4? How do we pull it into our world? Did you see what Andrea uh, said? No, I did not. Let me see. Okay, we got a chat. Andrea's so techie. Uh, Andrea said, uh, Esther goes to see the king after she has fasted for three whole days. So she does so before him physically weakened. Yes. Thank you, Andrea. Yes. Yeah. Would, would that be like the what Christ did, emptying him of himself? Uh, I, 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 the idea here, David, Andrew, everybody, is that... Um, um, let me speak plainly to this, okay. Um, no raise of hands, please, at this question. Does anybody here have such an emotional attachment to food that you have to have a bed night snack or you can't get a good night's sleep. Don't raise your hand, you get the idea. And sometimes our psychological, emotional attachment to food, it goes way beyond physical needs, way beyond, right? Um, if, you, if you saw me in, in my beachwear, you'd say, Chris can go without food for a long time. Okay, so I've got plenty of extra carbs stored. When you fast, and this is why fasting is a spiritual thing. When you fast, you're saying, you know what, God? For the next three days, you are more important than food. Great idea. Sounds noble. Sounds spiritual. Until you do it. Until you try it. Okay? And then here it is 10 o'clock at night. And, man, I hadn't had my Pop-Tart, man. Or uh, I haven't had my toast with peanut butter. Or I haven't had my nice glass of milk. Or whatever it is that your midnight snacky thing is, you know. Okay, you made it through the first night. Mmm. Next morning, now it's getting hard. That afternoon, that night, you're on day two. What I'm trying to say is when you discipline your body to say, God, or whatever the urgent thing is, is more important than food, you are really showing, quite frankly, devotion. And so that's what's happening. By fasting, you're demonstrating that you believe this matter is so serious, it far exceeds the biological need for food. That includes water at times. Yeah. So I think that's what's going on. And when you add to that the morning, the
the ashes, the sackcloth, all, all of which are saying, I have such sorrow and such regret. I cannot wear or do anything that shows celebration. I show shame. I, sh- I show regret. And ashes, like things were destroyed by fire, is what, what you're doing. That's an old ancient cultural practice. So, yeah, Andrew's right. It's a serious matter and also creates vulnerability before she and the king. Okay, you ready for the... This is where my heart goes. And... um, Yeah. How expensive is my faith? (laughs) How hard do I have it? You know, somebody knocking on my door today and says, Chris, you know, if you don't have your quiet time today, an entire city will lose power. And But if you have your quiet time, everybody gets power. But doesn't it sound silly, right? This all or nothing kind of dynamic. Sure. That's, this is an all or nothing dynamic here. What about my day-to-day life? You know, I can, I mean, I can pray publicly at a restaurant. I can do that. I'm not going to stand up and yell either. I'm going to be kind of a quiet deal between me and the folks at the table. But does it cost me to do anything? Am I, am I at risk to do that? Not at all. Not at all. I can even be so nice that I can share the gospel with a stranger and somehow I don't make it offensive. It's that easy. Now, you drop me in Saudi Arabia, you drop me in Eritrea or North Korea, now it's expensive. Now it's real expensive. Uh, Kamer and Samson Titus from Pakistan said they would allow people from Christchurch to do mission work over there. So we're talking about a trip, maybe just talking. Do you know how you know how large the max number of people can go? Take a guess. Two. Why? Because it looks like there's no group at all. They don't want to make a scene. Two people in the back of the car. Nobody knows you're there. Don't ask for trouble, right? I'm just saying, I got it easy, people. I got it so easy compared to this. So, so how much, how expensive is our faith? You know, quiet time. Oh, go to church. Do I have to? You know. Yeah. And the Lord is answering by rights, which means I was right. See, there's a special. So, thank you for laughing. All right, anybody else? Chapter 4, why this matters? Faith. Seeing the big picture. All right, I think that's it. Andrea, do you got anything? David? Hey, Andrea. I was just... um, I was just thinking, Chris, that when... When things got, sorry, I just all of a sudden had people come in here. When the the book of the, this Bible does not mention God at all, but when things got difficult for them, Esther and Mordecai both fell back on practices of their religion, which was sackcloth and ashes and fasting and prayer. 
Yes. Yes. So I I just think that's really good for us because if we have I'm not talking about doing things legalistically, but if we have those practices in our life, then they will be there when we do when things get really bad. But if we're yeah. not doing them all along, why why then would we suddenly be able to fast and yeah. pray for three? Yeah. 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 That's good, Andrea. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What about uh, what about now? What about um, do you think do you think God wants us to come running now? Does he want us? You know, Hebrews chapter four says we can go boldly to the throne. And there's no worry about God executing us because we interrupted, you know, his kingly inner courts. We can literally walk in on God. How cool is that? You know, Um, it's beautiful to see uh, Isaiah and little Phoebe. They'll get up early and they'll go downstairs and they're looking for a lap. And they'll get up in Lisa's lap or. Mom's lap, you know, and uh, they run to B, you know, B comes and they'll beeline to her and grab a leg. And next thing you know, Evelyn and Phoebe's up in B's laps or lap and Isaiah's there or something. It's a safe place. So uh, Hebrews makes it clear that we can run to the throne of God and find the safe place. Uh, Because God, you think about it, you know, the king can wave his golden scepter and say, I'm going to grant you life. What do you need to talk about? God did that when Jesus was on the cross. The scepter was waved there, Calvary. And and because because Jesus Christ died on our behalf, we're forgiven. And, And so we therefore can come boldly to the throne, which is awesome. And we don't have to come tuck tail, apologizing, shameful, in fear of, uh, I'm not worthy, you know, please let me live, please let me live. I just want you to bless my day, please, you know, don't, don't kill me, don't kill me. No, no, that's, we don't do that. Those are other ancient gods. We have the real God. We have Jesus that takes us to the throne, so. Okay. Again, the amazing story of God's grace. Um, Paul writes to a church desperately in chaos that I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed by Judas betrayal Haman took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, let me pray for you guys. And when you're ready, take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your love and grace. 
Thank you that that, uh, Jesus Christ gives us open and safe and free access to you, to your throne, your heart. And it's a beautiful gift that you give us. And because we've received grace, we can be gracious to other people. Would you please bless? In Jesus' name, amen.